Welcome to the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. We are the Soto Brothers. I am Samuel Soto, doctor of physical therapy. And I am Joseph Soto, a physician. Together, we are board-certified medical providers who specialize in internal medicine and physical therapy. Our mission is to promote longevity, health span, and wellness in order to prevent illness and injury so we can optimize the human experience. Any information on diseases and treatments available at this channel is intended for general guidance only and must never be considered a substitute for advice provided by a doctor or other qualified healthcare professional. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare professional with questions you may have regarding your medical condition. Hello, hello, hello again, everybody, and welcome. Welcome, welcome to the third episode of the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. In this episode, we will be debunking some common medical myths. No, you won't actually be using only 10% of your brain for this podcast, because that's not true. Lightning can actually strike the same place twice, so you guys may want to get up from your chair for this one. And bulls don't become angry at the color red. So if you get mad listening to this podcast... Changing the color on your screen won't help you. Sorry. Oh, and eggs? They're not going to hatch inside your arteries and kill you. So stay tuned. It's going to be a good one. Beliefs will be challenged, and you will find yourself questioning what you believe to be true all your life. At one point in our lives, many of us believed in Santa Claus and the Tooth Fairy. Yes, the power of authority figures in our lives weigh heavy on us. So let's all ask ourselves, who are the authority figures in our lives that we listen to and trust? Is it the big pharma commercials? Is it your doctor who hasn't changed the way he or she practices since 1985? Or is it the morning show hosts or a friend or family member? Things may get a little heated, all with the intention of getting to the truth so we can all live the most optimal life. And always remember, as Socrates once said, the unexamined life is not worth living. What's going on, Joe? Hey, Sam. How's it going? How are you doing? I'm doing well. Pretty good, man. Pretty good. Yeah, we're actually here together today. Um, Joe made it down from the boondocks of upstate to join us back again in Queens. So, yeah, it's nice to be back here. You know, some things don't change. Stay- Queens is staying the same all as always. So, But it's, good, it's <laughs> yeah. good to be back. He's hating on Queens. He's hating on Queens. I like it here. It's nice. You know, a lot of variety. Not as nice as upstate. No? All right. We'll leave it at that. Anyways, guys, we're going to start. We're going to go right into this. We're going to talk a little bit about psychology before we get into this episode because it's uh, very, very related. So a quote that I, uh, that I heard a while ago, the quote goes by, if you repeat a lie often enough, it becomes the truth. So this is a law of propaganda often attributed to the Nazi Joseph Goebbels. And it's actually pretty pretty uh pretty interesting this how how truthful this is and because a lot of this goes back to um psychology and how repetition can make a fact seem more true regardless of whether it is or not and understanding this effect can help you avoid falling for propaganda according to psychologist tom stanford and guys we've seen this many times in history where large groups of people have been brainwashed and influenced and we've seen the dangers of this and the genocides that have happened. And we've seen how easily people can become manipulated and the consequences of this. So I want to start off by explaining an experiment done in 1963. We've all heard of the Stanley Milgram experiment. There's documentaries on Netflix about it. So Milgram was interested in researching how far people would go in obeying an instruction if it involved harming another person. So basically what they did was they recruited a bunch of males through newspapers um, and they basically had one of these uh, participants called the learner or Mr. Wallace strapped to a chair with electrodes. After he has learned a list of word pairs, give it to him. The teacher who's in another room tests him by naming a word and asking the learner or Mr. Wallace to recall the pair of, uh, from the list of four possible choices. So basically there was a teacher and basically there was a learner and every single time uh, the, the learner would get something wrong. The teacher was told 
by an authority figure to administer an electric shock. And there were 30 switches on the shock generator marked from 15 volts, which is a slight shock, all the way up to 450 volts, which is life-threatening, enough to kill somebody. So what they found was that, interestingly, 65% or two-thirds of participants, which were the teachers, continued the experiment all the way to the highest level of shock, which was 450 volts. And all of the participants continue the shock to 300 volts. So the reason I bring up the psychology of obedience is because a lot of people believe that the media, which is perhaps their authority, right, where they get their information from, and they believe that because it's on TV or because, you know, maybe their authority is social media, or Facebook posts, just because it's out there on these platforms doesn't mean that it's true. It doesn't mean that we should be doing it or following this information. So I bring this up because I want to make sure that we're all thinking for ourselves here. I want to make sure that we're drawing our own conclusions from sound research, from clinical experience, and from people who are in a position to provide us with quality information in regards to our medical conditions. So there are many, many medical myths out there that are actually harming our, our health and we need to start thinking for ourselves and not vomiting back information about what we hear or on the Thanksgiving dinner table from your second cousin who read a Facebook post on how cigarettes are actually good for your brain or how your cat is actually trying to kill you. So I want to start by talking about a video. Joe, I sent you a video on John Oliver, who is a television, television host. And uh, this video talked about scientific studies and the media. I want to know your opinion on it. Yeah, so as you guys know, John Oliver, he's a very, very famous comedian, and he's on TV. Uh, and this clip was basically a couple of years old, and uh, he basically spoke about science and how scientific studies are manipulated and how the media sometimes takes headlines and just goes with that. So I thought it was very interesting. Uh, I thought that it was very insightful and actually very important for the public to understand how news gets to or rather how research gets to to the media so just a little breakdown before i start regarding you know how these things actually happen so whenever we watch uh let's say uh the the morning show or pick your favorite show in the morning we're often bombarded with headlines that you know state things such as new study shows that drinking one glass of red wine is the equivalent of spending one hour in the gym hmm. i mean hmm. that sounds ridiculous to me <laughs> But you'd be surprised how many people actually believe that. Right. But but the, the fact is that how, how does that actually get there? Well, most of the time, what these media outlets do is that they take a portion of these studies that was published in a peer-reviewed journal, which we'll talk more about, and they basically just copy and paste a, a sentence out of that study, and they, they just post it on their media outlet. And you know, instead of actually talking about what context that statement has, They'll just put it as if it's gospel, as if, yeah. as if it's the truth. And so people who are busy and don't have time to be reading a full research article, they'll take that statement and they'll just interpret it as, you know, the truth. So, you know, that, that's, that's some of the, the, the background behind that. Yeah. yeah and, and I thought, it's, yeah, yeah, go, go ahead, ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. And the reason I'm saying this is because that article, that video rather is very uh, insightful because he basically breaks down you know what what exactly goes into those those videos and and those headlines that we that we're seeing and like where that comes from so it's it's very very good it's on youtube and you guys can watch it if you have a chance but the thing is joe it's not even that it's not even as bad as taking a sentence from a research article and without context it's actually manipulating words and drawing conclusions based off of just just based off of lies like it's not it's not what the study showed for example Time.com posted about a new study stating that smelling farts might prevent cancer. I mean, this is just ridiculous, right? Like, come on. But yeah, the, the yeah. study actually never mentioned the word fart. It, it never mentioned smelling farts. The study was basically done uh, uh, like, like in a laboratory where they looked at like uh, anti-cancerous agents and, and that are, have similar chemical compounds with, within uh, a human fart, essentially. And that sounds kind of weird, but 
so the fact that they drew these conclusions is just it's just pure clickbait it's just crazy but there are a lot yeah, of people yeah. out there you know that are reading these headlines and assuming that it's the truth because of the news facebook or google says so and you go around playing this game of telephone you know and the more you tell you tell a lie the more it becomes the truth and miss there's so much misinformation out there it's yeah crazy. it's pretty Absolutely bad crazy. it's pretty bad i mean we're going to talk a lot more about this topic in a little bit, but it's absolutely ridiculous, the things that we see on TV. And guys, you have to be very, very, very careful with the things that you're seeing on the TV. So hey, there's that's Nash. Just yeah, Nash making an appearance. Hey, buddy. That's but my anyway. dog. How are you doing? Yeah. So look, yeah, we, uh, we, just, we just want to get that out of the way, you know, now that we have your attention. Without further ado, let's discuss some of the most pervasive medical myths that have plagued our society for the past several decades. So, Joe... Let us now begin with the topic of eggs. Oof. Are they bad for you? Do they just raise your cholesterol and cause you to drop dead if you eat too many? Are you going to turn into a yellow yolk and have a heart attack if you have too many eggs? When and where did this all start? Yeah, so this is a very loaded question. And this is going to basically... What I'm going to attempt to do is slay this myth once and for all, guys. So bear with me here. So let me guys, let me take a step back and give you guys some context. So where when did this exactly start? This topic of eggs and cholesterol. A lot of you may not know when this exactly started. So it, the war against eggs really began in the 1950s, and because that was when the first studies on fat and cholesterol were actually published. And since that time, the recommendations regarding eggs have flip flopped several times, leaving people frustrated and confused. So who's responsible for publishing these studies? So it turns out there was a scientist, and his name was Ansel Keys, and he was an American scientist who studied the effects diet had on health, and in particular, coronary artery disease. And most of the work that the scientist did was in the post-World War II America, and he had a tremendous impact on the subsequent guidelines regarding fat and cholesterol intake. So let me, let me tell you now about the prime the primary study where most of our recommendations regarding cholesterol originated from and it's actually called the famous seven country study and this study was basically a epidemiological longitudinal study what does that mean it was basically an observational study where they studied a bunch of people in, throughout different parts of the world and they basically just monitored them and um, asked a couple of questions regarding what they're eating and then they studied what effect those food, the foods had on the diet. So basically, this guy, Ansel Keys, he presented these findings at a 1995 expert meeting at the World Health Organization in Geneva and what he called the diet lipid heart disease hypothesis, okay? And part of his argument was that he presented a correlation between deaths from heart disease and percentage of fat in the diet, and he featured seven countries. That's why it's called the seven-country study. And however, this study, which led to the medical opinion regarding the dangers of cholesterol, fat, and substances containing these substances, has been criticized as far back as the 1950s. So, you know, it's not, you know, a lot of people nowadays, they think that we're, we're, we're finally questioning this, but it turns out this was being questioned back in the 1950s, where a lot of scientists were already skeptical of these findings. And famously, he ignored the cases of Denmark, France, Norway, Countries where actually their diet is rich in fat, but the occurrence of heart disease is low. Mm. And then Chile, where fat is low, yet their occurrence of heart disease is high. So, you know, it's actually quite crazy how we base an entire guideline based on this terrible study that was conducted over 70 years ago. I mean, it's, it's actually mind boggling. And... What the seven studies, seven country studies suggested is that the risk and rates of heart disease and stroke, both at the population level and at the individual level, correlated directly and independently to the level of total serum cholesterol in seven countries that he sampled. So, you know, as a layperson, you may you may look at the study and say, hey, yeah, this makes sense. Like the more cholesterol you eat, the higher the rate of 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 heart disease. However, that study, as, as I may have mentioned earlier, it was an observational study. So what that means is that they basically studied people in real time and they asked them, how much fat did you eat? How much cholesterol did you eat in the past week, in the past month, in the past year? 
and they basically just gave them questionnaires. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't remember what I ate yesterday. So I'm not quite sure how you're supposed to remember what you ate a week ago. So to, to right off the bat, the study was poorly designed. It was flawed. And worst of all, Ansel Keys cherry-picked the countries that he wanted just, just, to, just to basically support his hypothesis and, and made it fit into his agenda. Sounds like the Blue and, Zones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy that people don't understand that that study was just filled with bias and it wasn't, it, it's not the type of study that you want to base an entire guideline on. on. Well, so that's, that's kind of like the, the framework before I actually get started with the meat and potatoes. But, no pun yeah, intended. And before, and before you continue, let's just talk about cholesterol, right? So, because a lot of people, when they hear like fat, oh, that food has a lot of fat in it. They automatically think like, oh, fat. It means like overweight, like fat is bad. Avoid fat at all costs. Oh, cholesterol. Oof. Cholesterol in your food is going to equate to cholesterol in my blood. And that's bad. Fat is an essential macronutrient like proteins and carbohydrates. Cholesterol is essential for all animal life. Almost every single cell in our bodies produce it. And cholesterol makes up at least a third of the cell membrane of every one of our cells. And without it, none of the cells in our body including those making up your heart and your brain would function properly. Right, Joseph? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So as I, if you guys tune into episode two, I actually break down a little bit about what micronutrients are. And I spoke about carbohydrates, proteins, and fat. Fat is a very important macronutrient. And, you know, the building blocks of fat is very complex, but basically cholesterol is very important in that process. And our bodies, like, Joe, like Sam was mentioning, is, is composed of cholesterol. Like mm -hmm. you need cholesterol to build hormones, such as testosterone, estrogen, progesterone. If you don't have cholesterol, you can't make those hormones. Uh, our brains are are also built out of out of uh, cholesterol. Uh, the myelin sheaths is what they're they're called. They're they're built from cholesterol. Mm -hmm. uh, so we we need cholesterol. It's a, it's a it's an essential molecule that we cannot live without. So it's very important. We even need it to make vitamin D. Yep. Yeah. So yeah, continue. Yeah, so with that framework in mind, let me let me let me talk to you guys about about cholesterol and and where all these this craziness came from eggs. So, like I just mentioned, a lot of this underpinnings of why eggs were demonized came from that study, the seven the seven country study in the 1950s. And, you know, in the 1970s and 1980s, the American Heart Association then began to take that information and began to create guidelines based on that. So, and they, they used the framework that cholesterol was bad. That, that was the basic premise of their hypothesis that cholesterol caused heart disease. And that was front and center in their hypothesis. So, you know, obviously, if cholesterol is part of causing heart disease, what would the obvious thing be? be what would the obvious thing be? Well, lower cholesterol, right? Hmm. Income statins, which we've Oof. all heard about, right? We've all seen the commercials. We've all seen commercials on, on, t on TV. Lipitor, Simvastatin, Atorvastatin, right? These are called statins, which is, is a class of medications. Yep. Is, is Lipitor like the, like the biggest selling drug in big pharma like history? I feel like I saw that somewhere. Like most so, overly sold drug. Yeah. So the class of statins is actually the, the most sold drug in the world, a history of the world. Ever. Wow. Ever. It's statins. Yep. Wow, and and so obviously the the American Heart Association taking uh, taking the, as cholesterol as the demon, they're they're the problem. We need to lower it. They they, they create statins. They come out in the nineteen eighties, nineteen seventies, and you know everything is based off of this premise, and that's where this came from. That's where that's why people say that cholesterol is bad, and it, it's largely based out of the study. You know, obviously there's been subsequent studies after that that you know that has to have potentially shown, shown some harm. However, I'm, I'm going to actually show you guys how that's actually not the case. Um, you know, obviously heart disease is, is much more complicated than this. It's not just cholesterol. It's several, several different factors affect the development of heart disease. One being high blood pressure, high glucose, um, lack of exercise, smoking, family history. Cholesterol is just one factor out of many. So please guys, please. Don't let your doctor just focus on cholesterol. Very important. You must take into account all the other factors. It's, 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 just not, it's just not good medicine to be focusing on just cholesterol. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. 
And I see a lot of doctors doing that. They just focus on the cholesterol and they don't focus on other things such as your sugar, your blood pressure. So you really want a doctor that is going to be treating you holistically. And, you know, cholesterol is a piece of the puzzle, but it's not all of it. But let's talk about why, why, why do I think eggs are not bad for you? And it's not just me, guys. It's many people also, also believe this. And it's not just belief. It's actually, there's science that supports that. So I'm going to talk to you guys about a study that came from a very prestigious journal called JAMA. It's one of the most prestigious peer-reviewed journals in the world. And they basically published a study that was called Associations of Dietary Cholesterol or Egg Consumption with Incident Cardiovascular Disease and Mortality. And this study came out. It was published March 19, 2019. And it, it's, it was, it's basically the aim was to, was to ask the question, does cholesterol in the form of eggs, is that associated with developing cardiovascular disease or not? And before I, I start this, I just want to break down what type of study this was. And unfortunately, it was a observational study. Now, <laughs> what observational studies, again, here, here we go again with observational studies. We cannot base recommendations off of observational studies. Um, observational studies are basically the same type of study that the seven country study was based on. It's a design. There's different designs for studies. There's there's the observational, there's retrospective, which means you look backwards in time, there's prospective. Um, but unfortunately, those are not the gold standard. Those are not the studies that we recommend. And it's not the study that any credible doctor recommends. Remember, guys, we spoke about the pyramid of studies. At the very top of the pyramid is something called a meta-analysis. But right below that is the next best thing, and that's called randomized control trial or also more specifically, double-blinded randomized control trial. That's really where we should be getting most of our information from, these type of trials, not observational trials, especially when we talk about diet. So this study was unfortunately an uh, observational, observational study, which means that there was no control group, there was no interventional group, because th there was no intervention. And, and, um, you know, it was just basically based on a bunch of questionnaires that participants were given. So let's break this study. Let's break the study down a little bit more. They basically studied six cohorts of, 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 of people. So six different studies were all taken together. Over 29,000 adults were followed and they followed them for an average of 17.5 years, which so far so good. You have a huge study size. You're studying a lot of people for a long time. And they basically studied what effect increasing cholesterol would have on the development of cardiovascular disease. And so the way the study was designed is that they, they gave these, these participants a bunch of questionnaires. Now, a questionnaire is basically the things that you guys get in an email newsletter or in the mail, where they ask you things such as, do you like your job? Do you like where you live? Do you like that? So it's studies like that. And they basically gave questionnaires to all these participants and they asked, they asked them, how much or how many eggs did you eat in the last week? How many eggs did you eat last month? And how many eggs did you eat last year? Now, guys, I, I don't know about you, but again, I don't remember what I ate yesterday. How the heck am I going to remember what I ate a year ago? I mean, do you, do you guys think that sounds science? I, no. I don't. No. The psychology of memory is terrible. It's horrible. Yeah. Like, have and, you guys and, seen those, yeah. like, with, like, the witnesses? Like, you know, the studies on, like, um, where they put a bunch of people on the wall and say, oh, do you remember this person? Like, like the studies on on, 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 on crime also and memory are, are so bad. Our memory is not designed to, to be remembering these things. It's just not. Exactly. So we don't, we don't have, we don't, our, our memory is bad as it is as humans. Now, imagine we're basing an entire guideline on questionnaires from people who filled these things out years ago. I mean... To me, that, that's ridiculous. And then, this is the worst part, guys. Different cohorts in the study were given different questionnaires. So it wasn't even standardized. They gave people different questionnaires. So I, I, that was already bad, what I just told you about questionnaires. But now they're giving them different questionnaires. So we're, we're not even able to standardize it. Mm. Now, I want to introduce another topic, another concept here. It's called healthy user bias. And what healthy user bias is, it's actually a type of bias that research, that some types, some types of research encounter. And that 
that that basically means that when people know they're being observed, they tend to do things that are healthier. That's what healthy user bias is. And right. so if you know that they're studying you, then obviously you're going to try to be healthier, right? So they didn't, and they didn't account for that in the study. There's nowhere in the study. And I read the study back to back guys at least 10 times. So I know what I'm talking about. Um, they didn't factor that into the study. So how are you supposed to factor that in? And what I'm trying to explain here is that people who ate more eggs or actually people who ate less eggs, they tend to exercise more. They tend to smoke less and they tend to drink less. So like how, how exactly are you supposed to say that eggs are bad for you when you have something as powerful as a healthy user bias? And, you know, that it's just something that was not mentioned in the study. And furthermore, when you actually look at the characteristics of the participants in the six cohorts, you will find out that they actually had completely different demographics. Again, they didn't standardize for age. Uh, every cohort had a different age. So the average range of one cohort was 25. The other had an average age of 75. Guys, that's not standardized. Whenever we study something like this, we have to have some sort of standardization when it, when it comes to things like age. So that wasn't standardized. Male and female ratio was not 50%. That's another huge thing. It skewed male. And also, there was an overrepresentation of Caucasians and not enough uh, Blacks or Hispanics. Which so has again, been a common thing. In, in, it's been a, that's a, and that's been a common thing in the field of cardiology. Yes. Right? They've yes. studied mostly, the studies have been on Caucasian males and females. And the minorities exactly. have been very, very, very underrepresented. Right. And so this study, unfortunately, has a, a whole horde, a whole sort of, of issues with uh, it's not equal. There's not it's not 50 50. The age ranges are all, all over the place. The questionnaires are not were not standardized. What else can I tell you about the study? Um, worst of all, this study had a ton of conflict of interest. So what is a conflict of interest? Basically, what that means is uh, whenever you, you publish a study or, or you give a talk, um, you know, a conflict of interest is something that has to be stated by the by the speaker before you start. And why do we care so much about that? Well, the reason is because when there's a conflict of interest, you're going to, unfortunately, you're going to incorporate your bias into the research because you're, you're likely receiving money from the institution. So let me let me read you guys a couple of things here. So there's a couple of, of, of doctors that were that were actually featured in the study. One of them, his name is Dr. Wilkins. Well, it turns out that this guy reported receiving consulting fees from NGM Biopharmaceuticals. Dr. Mentz was another scientist involved in the study, reported receiving research support from Acros, Amgen, AstraZeneca, Bayer, Gilead, Medtronic, Merck. You guys get the point, right? So there's a huge conflict of interest in here. And both of these doctors were in charge of supervising, air quotes, the study. Very murky, if you ask me. Now, let's go into the more specifics of the study because I'm not done yet, guys. Sorry, I'm getting a little heated here. <laughs> I told so, you it would get heated. This, they had a very, very murky statement, which read, among, in air quotes, among U.S. adults, higher consumption of dietary cholesterol or eggs was significantly associated with higher risk of incident cardiovascular disease and all-cause mortality in a dose-response manner. Now, if you read that statement, it's it would it seems pretty obvious that significantly associated higher risk. I mean, this sounds pretty scary to me. Now let's let's dig a little deeper into this. I'm gonna read you guys some statistics. We're gonna do a little statistics lecture here, guys. Now, there's something they use two statistical analyses in the study. One is called the hazard ratio, and one is called absolute risk difference. So what's a hazard ratio? A hazard ratio basically tells it's basically a marker of 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 out, bad outcomes, right? Like what, what outcome does one intervention have on uh, a disease outcome? So for example, here, they, they purportedly studied cholesterol and the development of heart disease. They, they reported that the hazard ratio of developing cardiovascular disease with each additional 300 milligrams of dietary cholesterol was 1.17. Now, 1.17, what does that mean? So in, in the world of statistics, when it, whenever you report one, that means it's no better than flipping a coin, okay? So, 
And what does that mean? That basically means that there's no effect. You, you, you can't make any recommendations when it's one. Well, this was 1.17. I mean, almost one. That it just doesn't mean anything. Now, if you told me the hazard ratio was two, four, eight, that would be different. But a hazard ratio of 1.17, that doesn't seem like significantly associated, does it, Sam? Mm, no. Doesn't, right? And then they also use something called absolute risk difference, which was reported as 3.24%. And they just, and again, they didn't report 3.24% of what? Like, what was the sample they used? Like, was it based off the, the whole cohort? Like, what, what, what exactly are they basing that number off of? And it gets worse. The all-cause mortality hazard ratio was 1.18, which is almost the same as flipping a coin. Adjusted risk reduction of 4.4%. And, and then they, they write, and each additional half an egg consumed per day was significantly associated with higher risk of cardiovascular disease. Hazard ratio 1.06. I don't know, guys. I don't want to be. I don't want to be eating half an egg. I don't know about you, Sam, but I'll either mm, eat an no, egg no, or I don't no. eat anything. I actually right? I ate. I ate three eggs today for breakfast. So I'm not doing one. I'm not doing half. I'm not doing two. I eat my two to three eggs, uh, guilty free because I know they're very nutritious. They taste good and they're good for me. So yeah, and, so yeah. Joe, I mean, like, how did they even account for how eggs were prepared? Because a lot of people, when they hear eggs, it's like. Are they actually just eating the egg or are they eating it with cheese? Are they eating with sriracha, with ketchup? Are they eating it on bread? Are they eating it in an unhealthy seed oil cooked omelet? I mean, we have to ask these questions. Like, it's not just the egg. It's not just our eggs bad, right? That's like saying, yep. I mean, it's not just the egg. It's how are you eating the egg? Are you cooking exactly. it in an unhealthy seed oils? And are you putting in, you know, other, other, other products that are not healthy? Right, like, and no, yeah, are these studying? Are these studies accounting for these other factors? Of course not. Of course, they're not, they're not accounting for that. And like you said, uh, you could, you could, you, they, these participants where they say that more eggs you eat, they could have also been eating more Oreos, and they could have also been eating <laughs> syrup on the eggs, and they could have put Twinkies on the eggs, and they could have put, <laughs> they, they could have put like, like uh, what's it called, um, like the thing you put on ice cream, whoa, whoa, the whoa. sprinkles, sprinkles. Oh, sprinkle. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, this is this yeah. is just guys. This is this is like I'm just so heated right now because this is yeah. just ridiculous. And I put this the fan on. Gemma. <laughs> this is in Gemma, guys. The Journal of the American Medical Association. This is one of the most prestigious peer-reviewed journals in the world. Yeah, and, I mean, and this is just absolute crap. Gemma, it really it, is. It sounds like they're a little jammed up. But look, so at the end of the day, I'm ask you a question, Joe. Are eggs good for you? Ah, uh, this is that's what our that's what I use. That's what our listeners want to know, right? That's what they're here. Are yeah. eggs good for you? Listen, I'll, I'll say this. I can tell you that eggs are not bad for you, okay? Because from the evidence that we that I've looked at and the evidence that we have, we, we, we can't make any conclusions regarding eggs being bad for you because there's just no evidence. Now, are, are eggs good for you? Of course they're good for you. Um, they have a ton of nutrients, such as vitamin B12, vitamin B6. They have choline. They have uh, protein. They have electrolytes. They're really, really good source of nutrients. They have very low glycemic index, which you guys know what it, what that is. As I explained that in episode two. And so overall, I mean, eggs are, are good for you. I, I recommend eggs to everybody. And don't be afraid of, uh, regarding the number of eggs you can eat. Eat as many eggs as you want. It, it honestly does not matter. Now, I mean, but you're not going to eat like like 20 eggs a day, right? I mean, we've seen... I mean, we've seen that that uh, documentary Game Changers where Arnold Schwarzenegger was like, yeah, you know, back in the day when I was bodybuilding, I used to eat 15 eggs a day and my cholesterol was higher. And now I'm on like more plant based diet and my cholesterol is lower. But it's like, I mean, 15 is a lot at the end of the day. But again, he's well, not accounting for he's not accounting for other factors like um, steroids that he's openly well, admitted to taking. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, I mean, who, like the normal person is going to eat two or three eggs, right? At one sitting, no one's going to be eating 50 unless you're Ronnie Coleman or something. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, you know, two, three eggs, you know, a couple of days a week. It's fine. I, I, I just there's just no evidence to, to be making a recommendation that saying that eggs are bad for you. I, guys, there really isn't. I just I just reviewed a gem article and there's countless jur journals out there that don't make this uh, this prove this 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 uh, they don't prove a point. Now, I, I just wanted to mention one more thing before we continue. Um, there's something there's something called confounding, which is also something that we have to keep in mind. So what is confounding? That's something that observational studies 
sometimes um, introduced. It's a type of, it's almost like a type of bias, but let me give you guys an example. So let's say you're a smoker and, and we want to design a study that says smoking uh, affects your chances of lung cancer. But, but let's say smokers also drank alcohol. I mean, the, the confounder here would be smoking. Because we are, we're now we don't know if like you're developing lung cancer because of smoking or is it the alcohol? So that's what a confounder is. Like we don't we don't know. And again, this study it didn't account for that. So we don't we don't know this other again. Like I was mentioning, they could have eaten eggs with syrup on top, right? And then that's what the syrup is actually was causing heart disease, or and or healthy user bias. People who ate less eggs exercise more. So now it looks like eating less eggs was 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 good for you, but actually wasn't. But the reason is because they were exercising more. So this trial basically was just terrible. It was poorly designed. And honestly, in summary, we haven't progressed much since the 1950s. We're still conducting observational studies. We're still making conclusions based off of these studies in the year 2022. I don't know, guys. It's pretty sad, I have to say. And, and honestly, it's unclear when the egg myth will finally be laid to rest despite no compelling evidence showing that eggs are problematic for our health. Yeah. So, you know, and uh, it's not just us that are saying this, like you said earlier, and it's not even other doctors that are saying this. In 2015, the USDA Dietary Guidelines Committee report stated, previously, the Dietary Guidelines for Americans recommended that cholesterol intake be limited to no more than 300 milligrams per day. The 2015 guidelines will not bring forward this recommendation because available evidence shows, get ready for this, guys. This is from the USDA. So that's 2015. Shows no appreciable relationship between consumption of dietary cholesterol and serum cholesterol consistent with the conclusions of the AHA, ACC report. Cholesterol is not a nutrient of concern for overconsumption. Yes, that's what I just said. If your eyes just widen in disbelief, okay, this is according to Dr. Ken Berry's book, taking it straight out of his book, straight out of this, this, this report. It's not a nutrient of concern for overconsumption. And if your doctor has not told you yet, you may want to give them a call and tell them that. Hey, God, and Sam, before you continue, why don't you go ahead and say who, who that doctor is? Because I think a lot of people don't know, may not know who that is. So Dr. Ken Berry, he's a primary care physician, a very well-known doctor, very, very uh, respected doctor. He has an amazing book out called Lies, My Doctor Told Me, Medical Myths That Can Harm Your Health. You guys should really check him out for great, a great source of information. Yeah. So Joe, yeah. Um, just quickly, let's talk about normal levels of cholesterol because sometimes... You know, it seems like they're always changing, and and it seems like at one point it was like you know if you have them under three hundred, you'll be fine. If you have them lower than two fifty, you'll be fine. And now it's like less than two hundred. So it's like, how come? Why do they keep lowering the rate the, or the uh, threshold of cholesterol? Is it because big pharma? Is it because that allows them to sell more statin drugs and put you on more drugs, or is it because the research is showing that we should drop the numbers? Yeah, I mean, it's all the above. Uh, again, let me take a step back and kind of explain uh, a little bit more technical about the stuff. So, you know, when you get a lipid panel and you go to your local Quest or, or you know, local LabCorp, you're going to get a lipid panel. And the lipid panel is going to tell you a couple of things. One is it's going to give you your total cholesterol. It's going to give you an LDL cholesterol, which is uh, low-density lipid. Your HDL, which is, you know, high-density lipid. And then you're going to get something called triglyceride, which is the fat content in your blood. That's what, that's what a lipid panel is called. Now, um, each, each, each value in that lipid panel has a range. And most, most labs, they, they, they put a range up to 200. which is So basically, a cholesterol up to 200 is considered normal. If it's above 200, it's, it's considered elevated. Uh, the same thing goes for LDL. An LDL above 130 is considered elevated. Triglycerides above 150 considered elevated, and HDL above 40 considered protective in males, and HDL above 50 considered protective in females. So, with this in mind, again, why do we care so much about cholesterol? Like, why why are we so obsessed with this? Again, like I was telling you guys, 
it was based on the initial studies in the 1950s, which showed that, well, reportedly showed that cholesterol was associated with developing heart disease. So it's obvious that cholesterol would be studied. And, you know, throughout the years, they came up with, a, with ranges and they, they somehow figured out that anything above 200 is dangerous. Now, I mean, let me tell you guys a couple of observations that I made in my practice. So I've had tons of patients who've come to me in their 50s, 60s, 70s, who've had elevated cholesterol levels for years. And we're talking about 300, 250, which, you know, any doctor would see that they would fall off the chair. And, you know, I always ask the question, like, why do we care about this? Like, is this even dangerous? So one of the best tests that you can do as a physician to actually see if you have plaque in your arteries is to get a cardiac calcium scan, which I mentioned in episode two. And a cardiac calcium scan will look at the plaque or the calcification of your coronary arteries. And it gives, it's a good proxy for your risk of heart disease. And when I, when I would get these cardiac scans on patients with cholesterols in the 300s, so most of the time I actually saw that they had very little plaque buildup. Now, some patients with, I had a patient who had a cholesterol that was in the 200s and they, they, he did have plaque, but he also had diabetes, Hmm. right? So is it the diabetes that's causing the plaque or the cholesterol? Um, I think it's a diabetes. I, I also had another patient who had a cholesterol of 300. The guy was hiking every weekend. He was a legit athlete, not diabetic, insulin sensitive. He had zero plaque and he was like 55. And mm-hmm. his cholesterol was high for like high in air quotes for 20 years. And every other doctor that he saw wanted to put him on a statin. But guess what, guys? What did, there, what did his doctor, what did his doctors not do? They never checked his cardium calcium score. So they, 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 ba- they basically just looked at his cholesterol and, and made all the recommendations based on one number. Bad medicine. We, we, we go back to the same thing. You need to look at the full picture. So my point is cholesterol, you have to take it into context and in perspective. Um, you know, if you're a physician out there or a provider or even a patient, what you want to get is a cardiac calcium score because that's really going to tell you what your heart is looking like. It's not just a cholesterol number. What, what am I supposed to do with a cholesterol number? I mean, it's just, it's not, you know, it's, it's important. Like you, you do want to check it, but it's not the whole picture. So, right. yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, to, to say that a food that's been around for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you know, a, a primal food an ancestral food from an ancestral diet that we've been eating for so long can actually harm. I don't know. It's just, it just seems kind of ridiculous. And, you know, there was, there's a study in 2021 from Tufts university that looked at, um, like a, like a food compass. And it looked at like, which foods are basically, it was a food compass nutrient, uh, system for assessing healthfulness of, of foods. And, uh, this is just crazy. Like they actually, they actually encourage honey nut Cheerios, orange juice, chocolate covered almonds, frosted mini wheats, okay? And Lucky Charms are more encouraged foods than a boiled or poached egg, than ground beef, than a whole egg fried in butter. It's just it's crazy to me how how they're 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 encouraging Lucky Charm cereal, a processed food filled with sugar, filled with things that our bodies just do not need. How they could recommend that over an egg is just crazy to me. And guys, we're not making this up. I, I wish we were joking, but this is actually published online. Yeah. So let's uh, let's lay this uh, this myth to rest. Eggs are good for you. They are not bad for you. You're not going to, you know, stop, stop cracking an egg, taking out the yolk and just cooking the egg whites. And please don't just buy egg whites from a carton. That's disgusting. Oh, God. Yeah. Don't Come do that, on, guys. man. Don't do that. Eat a, eat a whole egg. Eat a Rome, a free Rome egg, cage-free egg. You know, we want the animal to, to, to not be stressed out their whole life in a cage. Like, you know, eat good quality organic eggs. You're going to be fine. Don't cook them in seed oils, which are high in little lake acid and are going to increase your, your appetite is not going to make you feel full. Eat, make, uh, cook it in, you know, a nice grass fed butter, cook it in maybe a little bit of olive oil, poach them 
hard boil them. Coconut oil. Coconut oil. oil. The way you make it, the way you eat it, what you eat it with is important. Don't eat it with a bunch of other crap. Eat it with healthy foods like an avocado, some fruit, some raw honey. You know, eat it with good foods. You're going to be fine. Let's, oh, and, and, and Sam, we have to also mention something very important. So, you know, when, we, when I was talking about the study, the JAMA study, they never mentioned what type of eggs they were studying. Was it like grain-fed chickens that were that were people were eating eggs from, or was it grass, or was it grass-fed, or was it free-range? Yeah. You know, no, again, no mention of that. And yeah. th that's one of the big problems with these nutritional studies is that they actually don't mention what type of 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 food they're they're studying. It's it's a huge problem. Like, and guys, it, uh, something very important. If you guys are gonna eat eggs, I would recommend free range cage free that's the best pasture raised okay mm -hmm. that's the best thing you can do those three things again free range cage free pasture raised that's the best type of egg that there is and guys i don't want to hear they're more expensive i i believe that the money you spend on your health and wellness is the money you'll save on your illness and hospital bills and prescription drugs and injections and surgeries that's like one of the number one causes of bankruptcy is medical problems. Yep. Spend money yep. on quality foods. You're going to thrive. You're going to live better. You're going to feel better. And okay. guys, if you, don't, if you don't have money to buy eggs, then just cancel your Netflix subscription. <laughs> going back to Netflix. Yeah, I'm, I'm serious. I'm, I'm quite I'm serious. Yeah, like, yeah, if you're yeah. not going to invest in your health, yeah. then cancel, cancel your Netflix subscription. Like, I'm serious. Yeah, we're, we're, not, we're not here to hold your hand, guys. We're going to tell you the honest, brutal truth. Okay, so let's lay that to rest. So next, um, I, I, I wanted to talk about uh, arthritis and weather pain, but honestly, I, I'm in the mood to talk about squatting, Joe. What do you think? Yeah, let's let's do it. Let's talk about squatting. Yeah, let, let's leave let's leave the weather and arthritis. Uh, you know, let's leave our knees as weathermen for another rainy day. Let's talk about squatting. It's a common myth that squatting is bad for your back, knees, and joints. But who are the people actually saying these things? Are they qualified movement specialists who can analyze your movement patterns and look for dysfunctions in your entire extremity from the top of the kinetic chain to the bottom of the kinetic chain, aka physical therapists and other uh, practitioners? Or are they uh, clinicians or practitioners who have zero training in assessing for movement dysfunctions, right? So that the question of is squatting bad for your back knees and joints is just like crazy to me the answer is no but i want to ask you joe what do you think is squatting bad for you absolutely not why why not well, let's just think about this logically guys why, why would squats be bad for you i mean it, it's a it's a primal movement it, it's it's like it's like it's like walking you know it's something that humans have been doing for for, for millennia it, it just doesn't make any sense to me like why would squatting be bad well, I think I think a lot of people say like heavy weights, you know, like heavy weights and and things like that. But I think it's just the form because that's like asking me, is driving bad for you? I mean, if you don't know how to drive and you get into a car, you're going to crash and hurt yourself. Just like not knowing how to squat, you're going to hurt your knees and your back if you're not doing it properly. If you know how to drive, the risk of hurting yourself and potentially crashing is much lower. So, no. I mean, people squat to eat, right? We've all seen the Asian squat. People squat to pray. People even squat to go to the bathroom. Yes, I'm talking about squatty potties. I said it. Look them up. They're actually good for your pelvic floor. Squatting is like breathing. Squatting is like walking. It's a, it's a human necessity. It's, it's our, our, our hip joint is comprised of the femoral acetabular joint. Our femur, our thigh, bo thigh bone, and our pelvis, okay? Our... Our hip is designed to move in three dimensions, flexion, extension, abduction, adduction, internal and external rotation. When we squat, our hip is designed to get down low and, and get deep into, onto the, almost to the floor. So it's okay. The problem comes when you're not doing it correctly. You're not doing it correctly because you lack stability or motor control or strength or flexibility or all of the above and the people who are trained to analyze your squat are physical therapists they're, they're not it's not it's not doctors medical doctors are not really trained for that i mean there are neurologists who are movement specialists and specialize in parkinson's huntington's spinal cord injury stroke 
and they can look at your movement and and say, oh, you know what, I know and I know what that is. That's that's a a, a cerebellar gate or that's a a Parkinsonian gate. But are they gonna look at your squat and say, oh, your left hip is not internally rotating enough, therefore it's it's causing compensations on the chain and causing your knee to, to cause shear forces and causing your ankle to pronate and have you and have flat feet. Therefore, you're getting knee pain when you squat. No, guys. You don't need a prescription in New York to see a physical therapist. By law, direct access states that you can see a physical therapist for up to 10 visits or 30 days, whichever comes first, without needing a referral from a medical doctor. So squatting is not bad for you. And and I'm not saying squat like 800 pounds like you know people do. I That I actually don't think it's that good for you because as humans... We're not really designed to be, we're not designed to be taking that much load on our joints. Like it's just, what's the purpose of it, right? As humans, what do we need to do? We need to run. We need to um, walk. We need to go up hills. We need to uh, jump, right? Those are functional movements, you know? We don't need to be, we don't need to be squatting thousands of pounds, like, that's an extreme example of it. So to say that squatting is bad for you is just is just ludicrous to me. Um, so Joe, like, you know, it, it's just crazy all these myths that exist, you know, and, and a lot of it is manipulation and a lot of it is just a game of telephone and how repeating a lie, you know, it just becomes the truth. So I'm glad we did this episode and I'm glad we were able to to debunk a couple of these myths. We're going to be doing uh, more episodes on Medical Mythbusters, so stay tuned for that. And if you guys want more myths debunked, contact us with your suggestions, and we may actually include it in our next episode and give you a shout-out. So thank you all for listening to the Soto Health and Wellness Podcast. If you like our content, please subscribe on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Apple Podcasts. Feel free to email us with any comments, questions, or a topic you would like for us to discuss at thesotohwp at gmail.com that's thesotohwp at gmail.com we will see you in the next episode be well